even if it were possible. And even if you had the right, which you don't, to make this decision for us, can you imagine for one second that there wouldn't be a terrible price to pay? I think for the chance to defeat death and disease, to let everyone on this earth have the chance of life, sustained, healthy life, to allow people who love each other to be together forever. For all of that, I think it's a risk worth taking. Okay, Hello and welcome, welcome and hello, this is Wait You Haven't Seen, and it's a show where we talk about movies, and specifically, we talk about a movie at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host Travis, aka TV's Travis, this is episode number 83, and our movie this week was the 1994 film Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, and joining me to talk about it, I have Monica. Hello everybody, Hello. It's me. Yes, Once you're again, back. I'm back. And I'm also... This time... I really am mad, uh, and I didn't get to pick this movie. No, you didn't. that's all I'm going to say for now. <laughs> mm, okay. Mm. Also joining us to talk about it is Keith, returning for the first time in quite a while. Hello. And now, Monica, you had not seen this movie before. No, I hadn't. Keith, had you seen it before? Um, I have not, actually. Okay. Um, the, only one, the only version that I've seen is the old black and white. All right. So, yes, this is 1994, uh, written written by, um, actually, one of the people that wrote it was Frank Darabont, who's well-known for doing uh, Stephen King adaptations really well, Green Mile and such, uh, is also a director, but directed and starring Kenneth Branagh, as well as Robert De Niro. So, it varies quite a bit from the old Universal uh, classic from 1931, I think is when that one came out, with Boris Karloff, which itself varies wildly from the source material now had either of you ever read the book frankenstein or the modern prometheus i have you have a long have time not. ago okay i long, did probably about probably 10 or 12 <laughs> <laughs> i i read about 10 or 12 years ago uh when i was taking a college class in sci-fi writing so i have read it as well this is a lot closer to that book than any other adaptation has been that i've seen um I personally like this movie quite a bit. Uh, It sounds like we have some dissenting opinions we'll get into later. Uh, But I do want to start with the cast because this movie stars three people that I actually like quite a bit. Uh, Kenneth Branagh plays Victor Frankenstein. Um, I like Kenneth Branagh a lot. Uh, I've been a fan of of his work. Uh, I mean, he does a lot of Shakespearean stuff, which I think is kind of neat. He does direct quite a bit as well. Um, but I just like him in a, as a presence in a movie, and I liked his his version of Victor because he was different from what other versions I had seen, and I sort of it was it was like this. There was a lot of passion involved in what he did, but he was very like upbeat uh, and um, visceral in his passions for kind of extending life. So, what I, what did the two of you think of him? We'll start with uh, Keith. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. I jumped the gun. But uh, it was nice to see the mad scientist be a character who is passionate about his work instead of demeaning without being demeaning towards others in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was one thing I I did enjoy quite a bit. He wasn't your typical, like, angry at the world type mad scientist. He just, he wanted to extend life because he'd known so much death to people that he loved that he was just like singularly focused on this one thing, which was to, to extend life, to bring people back from the dead uh, and all of that. Monica, what did you think of Kenneth Branagh's version of Victor Frankenstein? Having read the book, he's a little different from that version, but what did you think of it overall? Um, I am, I am actually a fan of Kenneth Branagh or however you pronounce it. Um, typically I like a lot of, you know, British things. So He's usually, um, I like him a lot. And, like, he wasn't terrible in this. So, you know, I'm going to give him that. (laughs) So, okay. So it sounds like you didn't really like him a whole lot. Was it that you didn't like his portrayal or you didn't like him, his acting job? I 
don't think it was specifically him. I think it was the movie in general being like really just like overwrought and over the top, like real, like a lot, just like so hard on the uh, grandeur. And the music was like, oh, you know, like it was just so like it was fantastical music for this movie. And I guess maybe. Maybe it's it's a case of like I'm not saying this is you know a bad movie, but like that it's a case of um, you know my feeling about this story and just in general because I had never seen Frankenstein from 1931. Okay, the closest I've come to seeing any Frankenstein movies is Weird Science. Uh, so <laughs> really, this is different. Um, but uh, yeah, just. I just felt like everyone was very dumb. <laughs> now it's like interesting. Just, yeah. It's interesting to me that you say it that way, because I mentioned that Frank Darabont co-wrote the screenplay for this. And he has gone on record in interviews as saying, this is possibly the best screenplay he's ever written and the worst movie he's ever seen. He doesn't like the version of the movie that got made. Now this came out about, I want to say it was a year or two after Bram Stoker's Dracula, which was directed by Francis Ford Coppola. Had um, had uh, Keanu Reeves was in Keanu it. Um, it also had uh, Anthony Hopkins and Winona Ryder, right? Yes, Winona Ryder as well. So that was uh, a very R-rated horror film of Dracula, um, and it was named Bram Stoker's Dracula. And then what happened was uh, originally, from what I was reading. Coppola wanted to make this. So he was originally going to direct it. He ended up not doing that and stayed on as producer. And it went to, um, let's see, what was it? Uh, Kenneth Branagh. And Kenneth Branagh ran with it. And apparently they had friction between the two of them, uh, Coppola and Branagh, as far as making this movie. Branagh had this, like, he did. He had this very bombastic style. And I think some of that comes from his stage acting. Um, Because he was, he had already directed Henry V and Much Ado About Nothing before he did this film. So I think some of that kind of bled over into his, you know, sort of Shakespearean background and his, uh, his, his stage stuff. So that was the thing that I heard a lot in reading reviews and, and reading about interviews with people is that they thought it was too much. It was too over the top. It was too grandiose. It didn't have enough of the quiet moments um, of the subtlety, the horror, right? In, I mean, in in terms of horror, and Keith like, sounds like you're like in the gothic sense of horror, not like I was waiting for people to be like you know standing around with knives and chopping up whatever. And, not expected yeah. to go slasher flick at all. No, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't expecting slasher flick, but <laughs> just like I felt like I guess I was expecting a you know like a grittier, a darker, a dirtier. I don't know why I was like not Tim Burton, but like you know what I mean. Like it was kind of like I was I was going in thinking it was going to be that, and it wasn't. It was there were very light-hearted parts of this movie, and uh, it just didn't. I don't know. So it's funny you mentioned Tim Burton because he was he was at one point uh, tapped to direct it and didn't do it. So that would make sense. It, I still got a bit of Tim Bur- Tim Burton feel for it. It was like Tim Burton light a little bit. <laughs> well, because Burton has such a gothic style, uh, and he and, does, and yeah. I think that would have been great for the movie. I think it could have worked. So one of the things with this movie that that I do like is the. So I'm curious what the moments of like lightness that you're talking about are, Monica. Just just what you you saw as that, because I noticed that overall the movie has very little levity in it. It's it's a very like it tries to be a very serious, very earnest tone to everything. There's not much in the way of comedy. Well, I guess I don't mean funny. Like number one, any of the funny stuff that was in this movie was funny, like by complete happenstance. Like uh, the creature. Um, you know, where, you know, I could have watched this movie and been scared of him, or I could have just, you know, felt for him. I just, Robert De Niro looked way too much like Gerard Depardieu for me to find him anything but ridiculous. And it was just really throwing me off. <laughs> I'm like, 
So that's um, okay. also a funny name for you to bring up because Gerard Depardieu was going to be the creature. Branagh yeah, wanted Branna wanted him as the creature, and the producers didn't think he was enough of a box office draw, so they wanted De Niro. So it's really funny that that's the name that you bring up uh, as well. And but. the funny thing is, I did have fun laughing at the prolonged uh, slip and slide scene. Oh, we'll we'll talk about that in a little bit. Don't worry, I got things to say there. <laughs> See, and if like, and that's the other thing. What actors bring to parts also is like, if I see Gerard Depardieu in a part, and like, it's a different feeling than when I see um, uh, Robert De Niro. When I see him, I'm expecting something more, and you know, or something different. Not more. Like, I'm not saying he did a bad job. Nobody did a bad job in this movie. It's just I feel like the whole tone was just like amped up way too much for me. Well, it was very much kind of structured and and portrayed like a almost like a Shakespearean play, right? Everything was very grandiose and very over the top. And then you have De Niro, who is a powerful presence, very subdued as the creature. Um, and, but I liked his version of the creature because it was so often everyone assumes because of the 1931 film, that Frankenstein's monster is just this giant lumbering mute thing that never talks and just kind of lumbers around with his arms out in front of him. But the creature in the book isn't like that, and it's much more like this version of the creature. Very uh, thoughtful. And honestly, my favorite moment in this is a moment of just Kenneth Branagh and Robert De Niro where they're sitting in the ice cave talking because you get a good insight into the creature and what is kind of fueling him and... I, I really, really enjoyed that. You know, that moment where he says, I have, I, f- I have love inside me like you've never experienced and rage like you couldn't imagine. And if I can't feed one, I'll indulge the other. Like that's, that's crazy because it's a, it's a being that just never got, it came to life and it has all this inside of it and it doesn't know what to do with any of it. And it's not taught anything. So it's like, look, if I can't have this, I'm just going to go this way. I will say there were parts of the movie that I did enjoy most of it, like the beginning, you know, like in the ice and the, you know, with Aiden Quinn, like mm-hmm. a very young Aiden Quinn, by the way. Oh, yeah. Um, like those scenes, the telling of the story and, you know, there were there were some great parts. I just like there was just some stuff that was. And also you started the movie out with dogs getting killed. I mean, like, really? Like. I couldn't have the little puppy sounds like, oh. yeah, no, I will. I will completely agree that that that's always rough. Um, and then like just everybody was dumb. I hate everybody. Okay, go ahead. Well, I mean, yes, everyone was dumb, but at the same time, like they had reasoning behind why they were dumb. You know, Victor is dumb in the sense that he just gets himself so laser focused on this one thing and it basically comes from his mother dying giving birth to his brother which is a little different from the book again was one change that they made in the book i think his mother dies from scarlet fever and not during childbirth yeah. um scarlet fever from the sister i think right uh from yes sister. yes that's what it was but i really you know that's a change that doesn't really affect anything other than uh, you know, kind of logistics. Like it's still a reason for Victor to to have the the feelings that he does. So I, I liked that. Um, I think that the way the the reasoning behind Victor wanting to extend life, he just he he can't deal with death. He just doesn't know how. All he wants is to. So since he's been very young, he's wanted his mother to come back, and that's never going to happen. But he's trying to figure out ways to do it, and then. You know, throughout the movie, he loses his little brother. He ends up losing his the love of his life. Uh, his whole world collapses around him. I think that, you know, who we haven't even talked about Helena Bonham Carter yet playing Elizabeth. Um, she she is dumb in the way that like she just wants Victor. She just wants Victor to be in her life, and he gets so focused on other things that he just ignores her. It does feel like there is. There are scenes that could have been put into this movie that could have given us better context for all of that. Almost like we're missing bits and parts because we get that whole moment where she's like, oh, I've, I've been writing the letters and she's all upset. And it's like we had no indication that that was a thing until that moment. 
you know. So that was that was something that did feel like it was missing a little bit. But I thought Helena Bonham Carter as Elizabeth was good. I didn't think she was. I don't think anybody in this movie acted bad. I think they were they were good jobs of acting. I think that I enjoy this movie, but I I can see where it could have been better. This was early in um, Branagh's directing career. He's gone on to direct uh, after this uh, Midwinter's Tale, Hamlet, Thor. The first Thor movie was Kenneth Branagh. Um, Jack Ryan's Shadow Recruit. He did the uh, the remake of Cinderella, the live action remake of that. I don't know if anybody saw that or not, but that was Kenneth Branagh. I had no idea. Um, Murder on the Orient Express he did a couple of years ago. Artemis Fowl was his. Um, so he, he's gone on to direct some decent movies. And this isn't a bad movie. I just think the parts that were the quiet moments, that, that moment in the ice cave or some of the stuff that happened in the, the cabin uh, with the monster and that family... That was the strongest stuff of this movie um, were those quieter moments. And like it wasn't balanced well with the over the top stuff, right? Like the whole, you know, the scene where he reanimates the corpse is going to be big and there's going to be a lot going on. And I actually did like the way that they had this one because it wasn't your standard, like, it wasn't, uh, it was a, it was a very visceral version of Frankenstein where he's running around, he's got his shirt off and he's pulling stuff and he's tying off ropes and he's doing all this. And it's just very like physically visceral version of Frankenstein as opposed to just flipping a switch. It was very, it looked so easy to just like, really? Okay, let's do this. Make monsters. It's just like, let's do the thing and plug them in the thing. Like, it was just so, oh, yeah, we're done. Like, why aren't you just doing that then? I guess, you know, well. Well, I, I, and I did read that there was a deleted scene where he reanimates uh, either a dog or some other animal, too, that they cut. So that could have... And, and that, that's another part, like, this, like that it went from just, you know, he's a kid, he's growing up and whatever, and he goes to school, and then, like, like they, we didn't see any of the stuff where the, you know, the creature's getting made or whatever, so all of a sudden there's just a creature, so I don't know. Yeah, no, I get that. Yeah. Um, it felt a little... I mean, we did get parts of him, you know, bits of him going around getting bits of other people to make the creature. Yeah. But not like a whole, yeah. But it was, it was, I mean, it was, it was somewhat big, but it, I think it, I think they could have expanded on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you both caught De Niro in his pre-creature moment, right? Where they, where he's in the movie before he's the creature. No. The one who shanked the other doctor. Yeah. He's the one that kills the doctor. And saying you're not going to stick that in me when they're doing the, the cholera vaccines, the guy that had one leg, and stabs the other doctor, that was De Niro. No, that was him as the sharp-featured man was his name in the credits because his he never has a name. Um, also, how about uh, John Cleese in this movie? Because I'll tell you what, I had seen this before and I still forgot I forgot he was in it. And I didn't recognize him for the first probably two or three scenes that he was in. It wasn't until he started talking. I'm like, holy crap, it's John Cleese. I forgot. I totally missed that he was in this. He I was, don't even know how. He was Dr. Walden. He was the one that uh, the one that gets shanked by De Niro's character. He's the one that oh. sort of is the mentor. Okay. He was almost there and just didn't have the stomach to go forward any further. Yeah. The one that went that, that, uh, he stole the, you know, he was the one that was like in the shadows in that first scene in the school. And then Victor goes to him and they, he's got the monkey arm. That was John Cleese, but they had fake teeth and a fake chin on him. So it didn't look like John Cleese. And that was on purpose. They didn't want it to look like him, but his voice gave it away for me, but it totally had no clue. (laughs) That it was him, and it's a nice I was, like. I I didn't sit through the credits, but I was wondering why he looked so familiar. Mm-hmm. I knew he sounded familiar. I'm like, I I guess that was just enough. The long hair and the chin and teeth was enough to throw me. Yeah, yeah, but it, it, that and he's playing a very reserved, very um, subdued kind of performance. You know, because you normally think of John Cleese being very over the top and very like melodramatic, and he wasn't that at all. Uh, and John Cleese. Yeah, he wasn't doing a, a normal John Cleese thing, but 
that was kind of fun to have in there. So it's kind of interesting that neither one of you really noticed it was him. I guess they did a good job with it. It was our first time, too. Sometimes you don't notice stuff the first time through. Yeah. I completely missing, like, just like, oh, yeah. I missed, a, you know, Nero and what else did I miss? Yeah, that's the hard thing about watching things for the first time. You do, you do miss stuff. That's why the second time around is is sometimes that True. extra, you know. Um, the other actor I did want to mention was Tom Hulse, uh, who Tom is Hulse! because can uh, I pause for a second? Well, I just I just have to say my note on on that when he showed up on screen was just shut up, uh, shut up, Mozart. <laughs> I just want to say that I love Tom Hulse. And whatever happened to Tom Hulse? I think he does a lot of stage work, I think is what he's doing. Because I noticed, I was looking at his IMDb, and he his last film credit is 2008. He was in Jumper. Yeah. And he hasn't done any oh. films since then. But I think he's, I think he's just doing stage stuff. Because I know he had a yeah. lot of that. He's great. He was he the voice of Quasimodo. In Hunchback for he Notre Dame? The, Am- Amadeus, which is just like, he's just insane. And I love oh. people who play insane. And I, he, I honestly think he's insane in real life. That's how either good he is or actually insane. He's so um, good in And there. he was in Parenthood, too, which I always remember that. He's like the, oh, yeah. the son that needs money from Jason Robards or whatever. Yep. So I always remember that. Yeah, he's he's great. Um, He's from Detroit, actually, is where he was born. And, but I loved him as, as Mozart in oh, Amadeus. There's another movie. Uh, it's Dom something and Dom. He's like brothers with, um, what's his name? Dominic and something. Oh, I don't know. I think it's like two names. Um, Dominic and Eugene? Dominic and Eugene. Okay. How do you know that? Um, yeah. Cause, and cause it's, that's like his... one of those movies where it's like, he, his brother is played by, I don't know, one of the dudes that's always in the Mafia movies. Oh, Ray Liotta. And, yeah. Yeah, Ray Liotta. And, like, he's, I don't remember exactly what was wrong with him, whether he was autistic or something like that. And it was just one of those movies, like, kind of like a Rain Man. But for whatever reason, I always remember liking that movie. Hmm. Hmm. I have not seen that. I'll have to check that one out. Yeah, I'm not saying it's a great film or nothing, but... <laughs> Still looks interesting, and I like Ray Liotta, and I like Tom Hulse. I've only seen Tom Hulse in a few things, but I've always enjoyed him in it, and he made such an impression with Amadeus. I mean... Oh, man, yeah. You know, talk about nailing it. And he was young when he made that, too. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of young, I didn't realize... I don't know why I've just always pictured Kenneth Branagh being in, like, his 40s or later. He was only 34 when he made this. And he's, uh, he's about six years older than Helena Bonham Carter. So here I was thinking, as I'm watching it again, thinking, oh, man, it's another one of those, like, he's a lot older than she is. But no, they were only about six years apart. And he's handsome. He is a good-looking dude. He was in good shape, too. I mean, mm-hmm. if I looked like him, I'd walk around without my shirt on while I was reanimating corpses. So, mm-hmm. Me too. <laughs> but overall, I mean, the the overall... Poncho for it. <laughs> well, Yeah. I mean, I think the cast overall was good in this. Um, I think they were well chosen. I just, I, I can see where people don't like the melodrama of it. It doesn't bother me at all because I think it adds a layer. Um, but yeah, I just, I like the cast. I like Helena Bonham Carter a lot. I like Kenneth Branagh. I thought De Niro, honestly, as the monster, I really like De Niro. Because um, he's got a, a weight to him to his presence, even when he's speaking very softly the way that he was, um, that I really enjoyed. You know, obviously they've got him under a bunch of prosthetics, um, which always makes acting more difficult. And if you were to do this movie today, letting them cut that mug up that bad. mm -hmm. If you were doing it today, it would be all mostly CG, right? Would be the way that they would get that same effect. It wouldn't be as much of like the foam rubber or latex type, prosthetics that they did there would be some of that but it would be augmented i guess is what you would say because he wouldn't have like you could tell he was wearing fake teeth you could tell that he was under a bunch of foam rubber type stuff yeah i mean like if we're talking about you know savini score (laughs) of uh 
you know, gore and uh, special effects. Like, it wasn't the best. Although that scene with Helena Bonham Carter towards the end, that was friggin' <laughs> whoa. Yeah. yeah, some of that stuff was really... Okay, yep. that's the part that I really liked, that whole... And then his stupidity of like, sure, let me do this with her. So, because that's... Yeah, that's going to work out well. Well, but. so, yeah. well, And I do want to talk about that. Um, because this is somebody who... He he was so focused on getting it done, realized the mistake that he made almost immediately, but grief will make you do some crazy stuff. So at that point, he'd also found out that he'd also lost his father. Mm -hmm. Just one more death on the whole thing that he can't deal with. Right. And he's seen that, that his, uh, his creation can think, can remember. So if he doesn't use a bunch of different body parts, then he should be able to bring back his beloved wife, right? That's that's his thinking. Like it's the grief that drove him to that. And he, rationally, he probably knew better, but for that brief moment, he was irrational. So perhaps it's also the um, like I think a lot of times in a story, you have to be able to put yourself in that and like how you would be, like what do you think you would do? Like, would you if you had the ability and smarts to like bring your dead woman back or whatever. <laughs> like, would you? I mean, you think react the same way. I don't think that I would, but I'm looking at that through the vent, through the lens of modern day and what I know, this was a different time. This was the 1800s, the early late 1700s, early 1800s. We, you know, the, the whole idea of science was very different from what it is now. Um, and the fact that he had spent so much of his life trying to find these secrets and he had found them that, and then immediately regrets knowing them yet has seen that it worked. So I think in a moment of weakness, in a moment of, I just lost my wife and my father and my little brother and, you know, I have nothing left. I have nothing left to lose, which is almost exactly what he says to uh, to Henry. He goes for it. So I, I would like to think that I wouldn't do it, and I probably wouldn't. But then again, I'm not blessed or cursed with that kind of uh, focus on things either. So I don't know. Keith, what do you think? With a certain amount of intellect, I guess, you know, he, they definitely portray him as somebody who's head of his class, uh, somebody who's always been very smart, who's always pursued knowledge at at the expense of, you know, other things in his life. And it seems to me that he, and if I had put that much effort into being that educated, I can't say that I wouldn't go as far as he did. It's kind of the pet cemetery question too, because the pet cemetery is, uh, asks a similar question where, you know, Gage gets hit by the car and his father has the ability to bring him back or he's told that he does. And so the question is, would you do it even with all the warnings that, you know, that he's given? It's sort of, that's the question that you're asking about Victor or about in us. that, in, in that kind of a context, I, uh, I've, I've, in the last six years, I've come to realize that I, uh, I can't fault the father in that movie. <laughs> Well, yeah, you know, when you become a parent, it, it changes things for sure. I don't know. I it's it's such a difficult thing to say because we're we can look at it from a very different angle than the character can. Um, however, you also have to think about uh, sort of the repercussions. He knows the repercussions of his actions, and so the question is, would he do it again? I think that's where the grief part of it comes in. The grief just clouds his judgment completely to the point where he thinks that he can do it right this time for that brief moment, and it's enough for him to try it. And I think as speaking as a horror fan, just we just know better, like whether we like cat, kid, wife, husband, whatever, like I'm not trying to bring nothing back to life because that's how the zombies start right coming. Oh, definitely. Well, and it's funny they because they never in, come back the same in, in, in exactly. even in this movie, people are telling him, look, you can't do this. 
you shouldn't do this. There's going to be a price to pay. And he constantly is saying it'll be worth it. He thinks he's going to change the world. And that's that can be a powerful thing when you feel as though you have that ability. And that's sort of the idea behind that framing device of the, the ship captain in the North Pole, right? That frames the story. Aiden Quinn's character. You know, Aiden, Aiden Quinn's captain is so focused on getting to the North Pole no matter what. He doesn't care if it kills his crew. He doesn't care if it kills him. As long as he gets there and somebody else knows about it, his name and his legacy will have made it worth it. And by the end, after he's heard this crazy story and then seen this creature, he realizes, you know what? Maybe it's not. Let's go home. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. that whole... That whole thing was really great. I love the the whole, you know, beginning and the end and the, you know, sacrificing himself and him being sad at his father. And, you know, obviously, like, those are my favorite, like, parts and key themes in the in the book. And that that's the part I did like. Although, like I said, I've never seen another Frankenstein movie. So I can't even be like, this is, you know whatever you know what i mean right right. so well i can um, threw me a little bit it kind of threw me a little bit with it starting out with the arctic voyage i'm like i i stopped and i checked to make sure that i was watching the right movie (laughs) well yeah because if you haven't read the book right the book does i haven't read the book yeah okay yeah i hadn't read the book and it just it just kind of hit me i'm like wait what (laughs) Yeah. Like, okay, okay, well, I'll, I'll sit through here. Well, and that's one of the other things I think that I, I liked about this telling of the story was it framed it the way the book did, and it brought that part of it into it because this is uh, learning this story. Number one, there is no clear-cut good guy and bad guy, right? You have you have characters that are flawed all the way through. Victor is not the pro. He might be the protagonist of the story. He's not a good guy. If anything, he's uh, he makes more mistakes and causes more harm than anyone else in the movie. The, the monster, the creature, isn't necessarily a bad guy. You know, through and through, makes a lot of terrible decisions, does some really horrific things, but is also very conflicted and confused and doesn't quite know what to do with itself. And it has he's gotten no direction because essentially is abandoned by his father. Um so like did a bit uh um catching it, it seems like he's really catching up with the rest of the world, but he does it very quickly and on his own and then but everything he does at that point seems to be above competent. Yeah. Well I think Monica, correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't the book take place over a longer period of time? Um, you're asking me about something that happened that I read like 43 years ago when I was a wee lad. Um, so <laughs> I actually started reading the book again, uh, okay. just because I was like interested in going back in time. Um, but probably I'm going to go with, yeah. I know sure. there's more, there's I more time like, in the book dedicated yeah, to. You can have more time in a book as opposed to a movie. The movie's mm-hmm. like, it's gotta like, let's keep on rolling. We don't right. know how long it was. Wait, Plus, we do. Wait a minute. When the ship landed, it said 1794, right? When it hit the ice. Yeah. So no, it's, it's like, I want to say it's a, a couple of years total, but that's, that's from when he leaves to go to school until the, the actual thing in the Arctic. Um, but I think there was, there was more time in the book given to the creature, you know, learning to read and learning to speak and, and remembering the, the memory part of things, which I thought was kind of a neat way to do it. Where he's like, not so much learning as remembering. I thought that was a cool line that, uh, the creature. Oh, yeah. Had. Yeah. It reminds me of some other like horror movies where like, people will get body parts from like other people mm-hmm. and they'll have like the memories. Like there's this one with the eye and Mark Hamill gets like this eye from a killer. And then all oh, of a yeah. sudden all you can get dead bodies. Like that was just like, yeah. So that's a big theme, you know, cause you know, that people are alive and that there's more than it. We're more than, more than just pieces of meat, you know, yeah. we're more than, uh, we're more than parts. 
which is, you know, at one point, that's what Victor thinks of all the body parts is just materials. He, that's what he even calls just raw materials. Yeah. And then, and yet when the creature brings him, uh, Justine, he's, you know, he balks at using her and the creature's like raw materials, your words. So yeah, I kind of, I kind of enjoyed that. Um, I personally like the overall look of the movie. However, there's some scenes that are pretty silly. The whole slip and slide is they're on all the amniotic fluid, which is just icky anyway. Um, that that scene is almost comedic in the way that it looks because there this suddenly there's no music. It's just two dudes, a naked guy and a shirtless guy writhing in amniotic fluid as they try to stand up. So for me, it was pretty funny. Um, I did have quite the giggle fit watching that part. I, I can't lie. And, you know, it, it definitely, the movie earns its R rating um, between, and well, it's, it's funny. Be, well, it's funny because there's really, there's not, for a horror movie and an R rated horror movie, there is not a lot of uh, extreme, like, blood or violence on screen. I mean, yes, there is, you know, he does reach into her heart and pull her chest and pull her heart out at one point. Uh, but that's really like that. I mean, even the, the scene where the creature kills the guy in the cabin, all he does is kind of smash his head into the ceiling and then it cuts away. Um, but you did have a naked uh, monster hanging with his doodle out. So, you know, there's that. Honestly, that probably was the thing that clenched the R rating <laughs> right there. Well, I guess they did cut some stuff out that would have given it uh, a much uh, closer to an NC-17 rating, and I don't know what it was. Um, I think the dog reanimation was one, and there was supposed to be some some other confrontation or something that happened. Maybe it was at the cabin. Maybe there was more to do with that. Where did y'all watch this? I watched it on Prime. Okay. I will say, like, the beginning of the movie with the... That was... And I remember when I saw this for the first time uh, years and years ago, it's the first time I can remember there being blood shown in any type of a movie where birth was happening. That was pretty uh, gruesome in terms of like, and I may have seen it before, but you know, most of the time movies and TV shows, birth isn't anything like what you're going to see if you're actually there anyway, but this was just very bloody. Um, And so there was that too kind of at the beginning but there's large stretches of this that don't have really any kind of i mean even the way uh was is it henry what's the the little kid's name the brother was that henry william william so william um even he you know they the creature describes the way that he killed him but when you see it in the movie he's just a, a body which did either of you notice the kid's hand grabbing the blanket as they were covering him I, I like that little goof. There's that overhead crane shot and they're putting the blanket over the kid as he's in yeah. Helena Bonham Carter's arms and you see a little hand come up and just kind of grab the blanket and pull it down. I noticed he was kind of moved. Yeah, I saw that. I didn't. And that's why I was like, oh, he didn't die <laughs> for a second. And I'm like, oh, no, he's dead. Okay, that didn't make sense. Yeah, child actors. Like, maybe he died later. I have no idea. That, that kind of confused me a little bit. But okay, yeah. Yeah. I guess that was a goof. Um, cause you would think like they're going for a hard R and you never see like, you never see any of the, the cuts or things that he's doing to the bodies. So, which in some ways is, you get a little bit of stitching, but that's it. Well, you see him pulling the stitches, but you don't actually see him, um, like cutting open anything or, or, or really sewing anything together. Also, I do want to say the creature, I liked the two different colored eyes. That was a nice touch. A really, really sharp, like, white-blue eye, uh, and then dark, dark eye. I don't know. I thought the prosthetics on the creature were actually pretty good, myself. Um, I, what Monica, what do you think of the, the look of the creature? Like, the way he was sort of patchwork sewn together, and he had that limp because one leg was from a different body. Mm, yeah. Um, much, much like I said earlier about the Gerard Depardieu thing, um, he really looked like that and not, I'm not a big fan of that guy to begin with. So I was a little scared of him. I mean, have you heard of the things that he's done? Yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> but so it made me, it made me laugh. Um, I, 
was not scared of him and I didn't really feel bad for him until later in the movie. Um, I guess when he was, like you said, like in that cave thing. So like, I didn't really, I was just like, whatever. Um, and the cave thing was really like, oh, you know, like, okay. You know, he's, he's lonely or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he wants, he wants a chick and, you know, we got to make him a chick, right? Cause like everybody's, you know, every, you know, pot has a lid. Right. And so, um, I was just like, yeah, man, just make him the, make him the lady. <laughs> Like, Which I don't of course he doesn't want to do. Do it like this, like he's a freaking creature person. Like just make him the lady. Well, it's that drove it, me nuts. It's the whole thing of like he was so focused on making life, and once he did, he saw it as an abomination. He realized why everyone else didn't want to do it, and that's why he, you know, he says. And granted, a lot of. Um, like nothing else probably would have happened to Victor if he hadn't put that that journal in the coat pocket and said, I will destroy this tomorrow. If he would have just done it that day, then the creature never would have found him again. But it was it was the whole idea of like he he didn't want to do it again because he knew that it was wrong. Even though the creature survived, even though the creature could think and had emotions, he was afraid to do it a second time. Was really. What I mean, that was of about. course, but like I'm saying, much like you yell at people in horror movies for doing something <laughs> stupid, just like, dude, if you would have number one, like you shouldn't have made the thing, but you did. Mm-hmm. Number two, you should have destroyed the thing, but you didn't. People mm-hmm. died. Then this is your chance to, ki- you know, to either kill it or um, uh, make the other lady for it, and you didn't. And there goes your lady's heart. And it's just like you were given it was Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Victor's dumb in that he could have solved the whole thing. He could have just killed it too. Like if he well, I guess maybe he couldn't have killed it. Maybe it was too strong for him. I don't I don't know. Yeah, I mean they show they definitely show that it's he's incredibly strong. I mean he took on that whole village full of people and was flinging them around like they were ragdolls. Um I also, I like that the movie doesn't end with, you know, the whole uh, windmill on fire thing, the trope from the 31 film. It ends the way, closer to the way the book does. So that was kind of cool. No, you're right. I mean, if Victor just says, all right, you know what? Fine. We'll reanimate you a body. You can take her and go off because the creature basically says, look, I, you make the, you make me a woman and I'm gone. We'll disappear. We'll never see anybody again. Uh, so if he just would have listened and done that, uh, problem solved, but he didn't cause he, for whatever reason, couldn't, uh, and boy, did it go horribly wrong, uh, including ways and hard. <laughs> I had forgotten about the reanimation of Elizabeth in this movie. Um, and then her, her subsequent, uh, I, <laughs> Like basically, I can't live like this. I'm and just burns herself alive. Best um, part of the movie. <laughs> like totally. That was. <laughs> that has to be the best fu suicide I've seen in a movie. Yeah, that was like my favorite because number one, like, and I'll tell you, like, I I slowly came around to not hating this movie, but I was really hating it while watching it, and I was watching her do that, and I was like, I want to do that right now. Like, <laughs> I don't have to finish this movie. It was just really, the movie was just irritating me so bad at by that point. I'm sorry. I know, I know you love the movie. <laughs> I mean, hey, you don't have to love every movie, you know. I, I, I enjoyed her to like movie. throw it on the ground or something, but she just like crushes the thing and just whoosh. <laughs> like that was so effective too, like completely. Oh, yeah. Now, it, it's also funny because we were talking about uh, fire effect last week with Chopping Mall and how it was somebody on fire, on fire on screen for a really long time. And then we have this movie and it's the same thing. Like there's just that one long shot of her running down the hallway. And apparently this house, by the way, was uh, looked like it was painted with the paint that we saw in Chopping Mall, that gasoline-based paint that they had. Because that thing went up like a tinderbox. A lot of dry wood, too. Yeah, well, true. Uh, uh, it's not, not like they were using flame retardant anything back then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, so we do have a question from the chat room. Tacomaniac444 has a question. Uh, so if you want to go ahead and type it in there, go ahead. Um, but yeah, I, I thought that was an interesting uh, way to go out. Uh, and we're, we're sort of, it's ambiguous as to whether or not anyone survived that fire besides Victor um, and the creature. But uh, I think we're, sp- I feel like, like the, the housemates or the, the house staff did get out. Um, but I don't know. What do you guys think? Do you think anyone made it out of that fire? Because it went up pretty quick. It did go up pretty quick, and it was kind of explodey. <laughs> but uh, it does kind of follow the, you know, the, the wealth and privilege uh, point of view of, yeah, there, there's the, the help does the help, and then they just they don't exist when they're out of sight. Yeah. That's very true. So, yep, overall, uh, so it sounds like, Keith, you didn't mind the movie too much. It was all right. You know, I I mean, might be a while before I give it another watch, but, you know, it's, I don't begrudge watching the movie. <laughs> but, Monica, you, you came around to at least not hating it? Yeah, I mean... Like, I, when I was watching it, I felt I could literally, <clears throat> oh my God, I could literally see like, oh, Travis would love this. Travis would like this part and that kind of stuff. And it just like, like, I could see like, this was your kind of movie. Whereas like, I could also see how last week was my kind of movie. And I see that, you know, um, whatchamacallit, you know, like we just... Like we, like we like the, like we like a lot of similar movies and stuff. But like, I obviously like, uh, <laughs> I like trash. Okay, so you know, no offense, like to my movies that I like or to myself, but no, just not. like, and I do like. It's not that I don't like fine films. I I love like of of all the movies that you know, like Scott and did and Scott and Tom did on um, Current Geek before they switched over. They were doing like the top movies of all time, you know, mm-hmm. all those movies. I've seen them, I've loved them, all that kind of stuff. So it's not that I don't like good movies. I just think there's just like, it's just it was just like, it just missed the, you know. I wonder and, though, like I wonder how much of that is expectations that you had going into it, because you did say that it wasn't what you expected you were going to be seeing. True, true. And like I said, like I'm not not going to watch it again. That's a double negative. I'm I'll watch it again someday, but the thing is is I'm so sad from some things that happened, you know, in the watching how fast they just hung that one chick was just so oh, devastating. Oh yeah, that was rough. And, you know, like reading I know they say that reading stuff is like supposed to be scarier, but like there's just something about seeing something like that that's very it's like it made me feel the whole, you know, the whole thing of the premise of the book, though, that man is really the monster. You mm-hmm. know, the, just, we are just and how close to reality is that right now, by the way? You know, just like that could happen tomorrow. That did happen yesterday or whatever, you know, so it's just yeah, it's so it's so real for me and and all that. But um I don't think I will, like, even if I do watch it again, I just won't get over how, like, just the music is just so, like, you know, like, it's just so fantastical, and it just doesn't feel like it, it doesn't work for me, you know? So no, I'll I watch can, it again, but... I can get that. I think... For the Asian scenes. I think a lot of that is Brenna, and like I said, reading about it, he had clashes with Francis Ford Coppola, um, over what decisions he was making to the point where Coppola basically kept his name on as a producer but sort of left the production because he couldn't get along with him. Um, so I can see that. And Branagh is very much uh, a stage Shakespearean type of guy. So I sort of I give it a little bit of a pass there because I expect when I watch this movie for it to be that kind of over the top. Because you're right. I think if it's if you frame it and put it, give it a, like a, a more gothic tone, which is going to be closer to your book. And 
more subtlety. And, I, and that was the thing when I read about Frank Darabont uh, talking about how he didn't like the movie. That was what he kept saying was there was no subtlety in the movie, that everything was just in your face and loud. And losing that subtlety lost um, a lot of things from the movie. Now, this movie was a bomb, by the way. Uh, <laughs> production budget, $45 million. U.S. Wow. gross, yeah, $45 million in 1994. When a $45 million picture was, that was a pretty good size budget. Like we were, this was pre-Water World, so we didn't, we, we hadn't had a $100 million film yet. You know what this made in the box office in the U.S.? $12. <laughs> Close. Uh, $22 million. Made less than half its production budget, uh, gross U.S. And that was after an $11 million opening weekend. So it, it didn't open horrendously terrible. Um. For like not a, a blockbuster movie, though. Anyway, no. It but was for never going to be, so. for it to to not even make back its budget in the U.S. and make 112 million worldwide, uh, not very good. So it definitely, uh, <laughs> which is why we didn't see any more um, movies in the because it felt like Coppola was trying to kind of do his own little version of Universal monster movies. That's why we had Bram Stoker's Dracula, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. And then we got nothing else. Now, some of that is that some of those other universal horror movies, These were, this wasn't a universal. This was Columbia, I think, if I remember right. TriStar, Columbia TriStar, yep. So, you know, that makes a difference too. Plus, I think um, length of the movie hurts it a little bit. It's two hours long. And... I will say that as, <laughs> like, there was... I, I'm going to say, as much as I didn't like... I don't want to say that I didn't like the movie because I didn't unenjoy it, but it wasn't whatever. Anyway, but just like, so as much as I didn't like it, uh, I felt like it was shorter than it should have been. Yeah. Which kind of doesn't make sense well, because it was too long, but it just like, I felt like it just didn't have enough of the pieces that I liked in it. So I felt, Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think, so I think in the, the lens of, okay, framing where, when it was made mid early mid nineties, an hour and 40 minutes, hour and 45 minutes, hour and 50 minutes based on the, the pacing and the style uh, of shooting that they were doing would have worked better. You make this movie today, it's two and a half hours long because they're going to put all that extra stuff in there. They're going to give you all that backstory. It's sort of it's weird to think that a two hour movie is both too long and too short, but you're kind of right because exactly. it's too long in that it's so loud and bombastic and in your face and here, 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 and look at this, look at this, look at this, that you kind of get worn out by it, but it's not long enough. Well, they rushed it. Sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say it's not long enough in that there's parts that are left out. There's bits that were missing that, that would help to give context and to give us a little bit more. So it's like they kind of shot for in the middle and it, you're right. You, you, you just said Keith, it felt a little rushed at parts. Yeah, it definitely felt kind of rushed and I wasn't sure if that was just my ADD kicking in or what, but you know, it, it'd pick up and it would, uh, it, it the the pacing seemed very fast and even the slow down sections still seemed pretty quick. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think overall it's worth seeing though. I think if you like the Frankenstein story, it's a good version of that story. If you like the book, um, even if the only movie you've ever seen is the old Universal one with Karloff, like this is a very different version of that. Um, Right, even right down to the whole it's alive like he yells it's alive but only once and it doesn't freak out um, I actually <laughs> I don't know I, I liked that that like scene I said, was I've pretty cool I've only seen weird science so I'm just I was waiting for the it's alive alive and then you know uh, oingo boingo but there was right. nothing so obviously I was <laughs> plus I like that he oh. didn't harness lightning to reanimate the creature is using electric eels because in the book she never mary shelley never really gives you exactly how he does it if i remember right it's just sort of like he reanimates it and that's it they don't go into great detail um and the whole like harnessing lightning was very much from the universal movie and then subsequent stories 
I mean, she had that whole thing about lightning in it, though. Um, there was, but I think that was more of like him realizing that electricity was the key. Because that's sort of what yeah. they did in this. He harnessed... Yeah, you know, there, no, there's, yeah I mean, there's it the whole scene in this. <laughs> so, I read this book in the womb. Uh, <laughs> it's just a bit of light reading. Mm-hmm. It does make me... It did, it, it did make me actually want to f- pick up the book and read it again, though. Because I, I yeah, remember right. enjoying it. I got so. it on my Kindle, so you know, I'm I'm reading it already. I'm I'm on chapter three. Hey, you know what? Honestly, though, if a movie does that, I think it's doing something all right. I think, like, if I were to give this movie a letter grade, I give it like a C plus, B minus in that range. We give movies letters. C no, plus, you said? no. But if I were to give movies a letter grade, oh. I would be somewhere in that range where it's like, it's good. And I have good nostalgic memories of it because I remember enjoying it when I saw it the first time and I liked the telling of the Frankenstein story, but it's not great. There's definitely things that you could improve. So you said a C plus? That's around the range, C plus, B minus, that, you know, good, not great range. And so here's like, and here's another thing about like scale. So this is like a well-made movie, well-produced, well-acted, well-people, all the good thingies. And like, we're going to give it a C plus in that world. Whereas if we go back to chopping mall, oh, I'm going to give that thing in the world of B movies. That thing is like a friggin' a, that is like top of the heap of B movies. Come on. Well, like, yeah, that's the thing is any, put it next to this one, obviously it's not well made at all, but like, you know, well, right. the difference between art class and English class. What gets you an A in English doesn't get you an A in art. It also doesn't get you an A in trigonometry. Yeah. Right. I mean, if we're going strictly by like filmmaking prowess, there's no comparison between Chopping Mall and this movie. Like this movie is has a well, for one, this movie had probably more of a budget for gelatin to stand in as amniotic fluid than the whole of Chopping Mall had. <laughs> Like, they probably spent more money on that. But I'll tell you something. I've seen Chopping Mall more than I will ever see this movie. True. No, and, and, and that... I continue to watch that movie again and again because it's just... It's... Where can I find that movie? Because I didn't get to watch it. Hey, where were you last week? Well, we'll let you know after the show. Don't worry. Um, no, but I mean, and that's the thing. is You always have to take grading a movie i feel in some form of context you can't look at everything in a vacuum right because that chopping mall we talked about it last week was roger corman produced and that dude is allergic to spending money so they had no money they had to shoot at night after the mall closed the whole thing takes place like it's a very different environment from this which is a big studio production 45 million dollar budget Comparing the two, it's you're you're gonna go by not only technical prowess and storytelling, but also what was more enjoyable. You enjoy Chopping Mall a lot more than you enjoy this movie. I enjoyed the shit out of Chopping Mall, and I would definitely watch it again. I can't say that I liked either one more than the other because I I see them very differently. Mm-hmm. But I also would not begrudge anyone for enjoying the experience of watching Chopping Mall in all its cheesy glory. Oh yeah, because it totally is that. So. Yeah, and that's the thing I love about movies as an art form is that it's very subjective and you can like what you like and that's fine. That's part of why I do this show is to to get get an idea and gauge people's reactions to movies they'd never seen before that they had heard of and just for whatever reason didn't see. Whether it's you know somebody who'd never seen Serenity before and I can't figure out why that is or you having not seen this movie be, given that you're a horror movie fan. So... Obviously, and like I'll find that there's reasons why I don't watch certain movies, <laughs> and I can see why I didn't watch this. I mean, and the other part is I obviously never, I've never seen any of the Frank, old Frankenstein. I've seen some, seen one of the Dracula. I just, I never got into Universal monsters. You know, that just wasn't my kind of horror, you know, thing. So it, uh, it actually made sense that I hadn't seen this because. Number one, I hadn't heard of it because I saw Dracula. I saw Bram Stoker's Dracula. I don't know why this this like completely slipped by. Also, hmm, I don't I even don't remember the thing. I remember, I remember Mary Riley, which I don't remember what that is anymore. <laughs> is that is that something? Within yeah, the world, I'm not. Right? I'm not sure. Like I for... maybe. Now I have to go look that up. But I remember this when it was when it was hitting theaters, and I remember. 
Um, cause I, I just remember seeing ads for it quite a bit. Uh, a lot of shots of, uh, the, that shot of Victor as he's standing over the container yelling, live, live, live. They showed in a, almost every trailer, if I remember right. So, you know, I mean, look, not every movie is going to be for everybody. It didn't do well critically. Uh, and we talked about it down the box office. It's actually, I mean, the IMDb rating is a 6.4 out of 10. So right about what I'm saying, you know, good, but not great. It's watchable. You don't mourn the time you spend watching it, even if you don't love the movie. And you even came around during it. By the end of it, you didn't want to light yourself on fire. So I will say that the biggest reason why I did come around was because of you. Because knowing, like, I, I had you in my head towards the middle of it. Like, oh, well, Travis would like this because of whatever. So, you know, it... Whoops. <laughs> I dropped my cup. Um, so, it, it, you know, actually doing the show made it more enjoyable so if you're watching this and you haven't seen it and you think you're like me who likes trash for whatever reason um you know give it a shot you might actually like it yeah it's worth it it's worth seeing especially this time of year so well i want to thank both you guys for being on this week this was uh this was fun i will say uh i i i will agree that chopping mall is a more uh kitschy and kind of fun movie to watch um which was last week, but I did enjoy this. Um, now, next week, we have a fun one. We have a real fun one. I am super excited for next week. Scotty Moe is coming back. He was on when we watched, uh, when Monica and I watched uh, John Wick a few a couple months ago. He is going to come back, and we are going to watch Shaun of the Dead. And I can't wait. So last year for Halloween movies, we, I kind of had themes every week. We had the monster movie, um, which would be Frankenstein. We had our our serial killer slasher kind of movie last year, which was Psycho. This year was kind of Chopping Mall, sort of fits into that. This is our horror comedy, uh, and I love this movie, so I cannot wait. I've been wanting to do it since the show started, and I never found anybody who hadn't seen it. So when I was talking to Scotty Moe and he said he hadn't seen it, I was, we, we decided it's got to be done. So come on back next week and check out the third part, which is actually part one of the Cornetto trilogy, and that is Shaun of the Dead. We've already done Hot Fuzz and The World's End, so now I get to complete the trilogy and, and talk about Shaun of the Dead on here, and I can't wait. It's going to be a fun one. Um, but Monica, let people know, you've got a couple things you're doing recently, so let people know where that is. Jeez, yeah, I am, like, super busy now. Um, let's see, uh, who am I again? I've forgotten already. Uh, number one, follow me on Twitter, at WickedKitten13, because uh, stuff's going on, and I'll be tweeting it out, and there's stuff coming up that I can't talk about yet, but, it, you know, I will uh, eventually, and that's where you can grab it. Uh, and follow me on Twitch, because I'll be streaming when I'm not incredibly busy. Uh, I also do a um, a Hearthstone podcast called Hearth Casual that's over on the Warcraft Radio uh, podcast network. So uh, check that out. And um, I was on the last episode of Q for Fun, which is a Heroes of the Storm podcast. And uh, what else did I do? I've forgotten already. I did this. Dude, you're so. doing everything. Everything and anything. Yeah, I got last week. I did this show as well, yeah. which was really great. And I'll be here next week. So uh, if I've forgotten anything, I'll tell you next week. Uh, I love you all. That sounds great. And Keith, I would ask what you're up to, but I know it's nothing. You just work. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you are watching the live stream, you can see on the screen right now uh, a sticker with my logo. It might be backwards for you. I don't know. But I still have these, and they're still available. And if you want one, you have to DM me, uh, get a hold of me on Twitter, at TV's Travis, and ask for a sticker, and I will put one in the mail for you. A couple of people have already gotten theirs, and they like them. So if you want one of those, that's where you got to get a hold of me. I'm not announcing it on Twitter. You just got to get in touch with me there, and you can get one of those stickers. So come on back next week when we talk about Shaun of the Dead, one of my favorite zombie movies. I'm sorry. We shouldn't One say of the, my favorite zombie movies. We, we, we shouldn't say the Z word. Oh, oh yes. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Um, sorry. But yeah, come on back next week for that with uh, special guest Scotty Moe because that's, that's going to be a ton of fun. I cannot wait. But until then, 
I always like to say for everybody to get out and enjoy your movies and it's crazy times out there. Be excellent to each other. doesn't approve of public humiliation. I am not mad! My dear fellow, of course you're not. In fact, that's just the sort of thing I'd expect a perfectly rational person to say to a complete stranger. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>